you're glad to be in the house of the Lord. Say amen. Yes. amen. Glad to not have the virus. Say amen. <laughs> I told Kirsten last night when the kids were sick, I'm trying to keep my distance from, from everybody. I haven't had it, thank the Lord, but it has gone through the kids. And uh, talking about the virus and how bad it was on them. And I said, I'm not making a lot of COVID. I said, but uh, I think I would rather have had COVID than I had to get the virus. She said, Corey, she said, COVID is bad. It can kill you. I said, yeah. I said, it might can, but I think that I'm on the brink of death every time I have a virus. She said, COVID lasts two weeks, a month. Virus only lasts 24 to 48 hours. But I said, oh, what a 24 or 48 hours it is. Amen. So I'm glad that I'm healthy tonight. I do thank you for the prayers for, for the kids. I would say this, as bad as um, it is for um, to, to be physically sick, it's worse than that on your heart to see your baby sick. Yeah. And uh, I, I hate it for them, praying for the Lord to touch them. And uh, so I ask for you to continue to remember them. I do have a couple of quick praise reports before we get started. Uh, in the Word of God tonight, uh, last week there were three uh, important prayer requests that we ask you to mention. Uh, take to the Lord, Brother David Boggs uh, told you he was not doing good at all. I've been in contact with him several times, and every time I talk to him, he's getting better. And uh, he messaged me Sunday morning before church, and he said, please let your church know how much I appreciate them praying. He said, I've had the best two nights back-to-back uh, -back than I've had since before COVID. And uh, he is still on uh, supplemental oxygen, but uh, each day he's, he's getting better and getting stronger. So he met, I messaged him just before church and asked him how he was doing. And uh, he said physically he's a lot better, a lot stronger. Um, uh, but uh, he does have uh, just a, still a feeling of weakness. So remember him. Brother Michael Harris, we asked for prayer for him was in uh, University Hospital in Jackson, uh, battling sepsis and uh, problems, numerous problems, was um, on a ventilator. The last I heard, he was scheduled to go home Monday morning. So uh, the Lord has brought him a long way. So now I'm asking him to, to complete part two of that prayer, and to not just touch him physically, but to bring him back in the fold spiritually and uh, ask for prayer for my Aunt Barbara, she took her last chemo and radiation treatment today, and uh, it was a big deal for her. Got to ring the bell that they have for their last treatment, and uh, she's scheduled uh, for one more appointment, I believe, in the morning, and then she has to wait a month before they do all of the tests again to see uh, how successful the radiation and chemo was. I don't know how successful chemo and radiation is going to be, but I'm believing that God Amen. It's taking her case. And that cancer is going to be gone. And uh, I've, I've prayed. I was walking the floors last night of prayer meeting saying, Lord, uh, I, I don't need a sign or a miracle or a wonder to believe that you're God. I, 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 don't, I don't need to see a sign. The Bible says that signs are for the unbeliever. But there are plenty of people in my family that's not saved. I said, Lord, let them see a miracle, a bona fide miracle that doctors can't get the credit for her healing, but let it be you that gets all the glory. And let them see just uh, the, the wonder of your power. But, Lord, 
send conviction following the wonder where they hit their knees and prayed through. So I, I want to thank you, the church, for praying for those. Uh, it's, we bring a lot of needs before you to pray about, and uh, I believe that you do, and it's always good to hear good reports of how God has moved and answered those prayers. So I want you to keep praying and believing for all of the needs that, um, that we continue to pray about. Luke chapter number 3, verse 16, if you have your Bible, and uh, we're going to continue preaching on this thought, the Holy Ghost and fire. Sir, sunrise service this Sunday morning at 6.30. So it's going to be outside, weather permitting. Uh, if it's uh, too cool or if it's raining, we will move it inside. But uh, bring somebody with you, 6.30 for sunrise service. And uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night service as, as usual. Believing the Lord for uh, an absolutely wonderful Easter Sunday. So... Um, one other announcement before we get started. Brother Clint has uh, already slipped out having to go to work. Uh, Men, he's going to be here at the church Friday with a chainsaw. This wood line here where the trees fell, he's going to help us get uh, uh, get that cut up. And so if you are able and don't have anything to do on Friday, uh, I just scheduled you something. You can help us <laughs> move that wood. And that would be a tremendous help. I don't have the time as of yet. It's dependent upon uh, his schedule. Um, but uh, if you could help us, I know that that would be greatly appreciated. Luke chapter number 3, verse 16. You should about have it memorized by now. But the word of God says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am unworthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Part three of the message tonight on the Holy Ghost and fire. Father, we love you tonight. We are so thankful for the privilege that we have to come to be in your house to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you for your presence that we've already been made to feel as we worshiped you and as we praised your great name, I felt your spirit settle down in this house. And I'm asking, oh God, that that same spirit would move. Father, last Wednesday night you came in this place suddenly. God, you interrupted uh, the, the, the schedule, the agenda, the itinerary. And Lord, you had your way in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I'm asking that you would do it all over again tonight. Father, not just in this building, but those watching by way of live stream, by those watching by way of uh, the, the internet tonight. I pray that you would settle down in their living room, in their bedroom, God, in their vehicle, wherever they may be. Father, in this message, God, the, the, the important message of this hour would be a reality for them. God, let it be more than words. Let it be more than a message, but let it be a reality in our hearts and in our lives. Do with us as you will. Baptize us all. We'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray it. And the church says amen. And amen. The Holy Ghost and fire. I, there, there's no way that I have time to go back and recap everything. Uh, dealing with what we have talked about and covered up to this point. We've talked about many aspects of fire and how the Holy Ghost relates to fire and 
uh, talked about how fire and its characteristics are important. And last week we touched on how fire uh, alters appearances, how that everyone that has an encounter with fire, uh, people around them is going to know about it. Can you say amen? The, the fire is it's not going to be something that you should hide or put under a bushel, but the Bible says we're a city on a hill uh, that, that cannot be hid. And so uh, we, we talked about fire, how it gives light and how it gives warmth. And uh, last week when the Holy Ghost fell in this house, we were talking about the point how fire must be preserved, which is where we'll pick up tonight. For fire to live and for fire to be existent, we talked about how there has to be an energy source. Fire cannot sustain itself. There has to be oxygen. There has to be fuel for that fire to continue to burn. And the Bible tells us as much in Proverbs 26 verse 20. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. Last week we were talking in Acts 28 verses 1 through 3. You know the story very well how Paul had survived the Eurachlodon, the shipwreck. On the Isle of Melita, the Bible says that the barbarous people are those that did not speak in, in, in their native tongue or language. The Bible says showed us no little kindness, which means that they showed them great kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain, because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came out a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. The first thing that we saw about those barbarous people is that the fire that you build and the fire that you kindle will not only benefit yourself, but it will benefit the lives of others. When your soul catches on fire and burns with the Holy Ghost, you shouldn't just burn in the church house, but you should burn at your house. You should burn at the schoolhouse. You should burn on the job site. You should burn in, in Walmart. You should burn everywhere that you go. And when you burn with the Holy Ghost, others are going to be drawn to the fire. Amen. Others' lives are going to be impacted when you get on fire for God. It was uh, Zacchaeus. When he had the encounter with Christ, Jesus looked at him and, and said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree for I, I, I'm going to your house today. For salvation is come to this man's house, to his family. Not only did Zacchaeus' encounter with Christ change him, but it changed the trajectory of his whole house and his whole family. And that is the will of God for each and every one of us. For us to catch on fire and that fire to burn on the inside of us and for us to carry the fire to the world. The fire that you build benefits others. And the second thing we see is that Paul, he did not work to build this fire. He was warming by a fire that someone else labored over, that someone else had produced. And we discussed how man cannot take credit for sparking the Holy Ghost. He came suddenly and he still comes suddenly. But there's a, a third part of this story that after a period of time, we see something very important in verse number 3. While Paul was warming by a fire that he did not labor over, and he was warming by a fire that he did not build and he did not produce, while everyone else was sitting around enjoying the benefits of the fire, 
Paul had the foresight to think ahead. He realized that this fire may be burning bright right now. But if somebody don't go get some wood. And somebody don't put the wood on the fire. Then the fire that we're enjoying right now is soon going to go out. The fire that, uh, that we're experiencing now, it may be burning bright. But if there's not some fuel added to this thing. If there's not some fuel given uh, to the fire then the fire was going to go out. So Paul took the burden on himself. He didn't ask his brother. He didn't ask uh, the one beside him. He didn't ask the captain of the ship. Paul took responsibility for the fire. Paul took responsibility and he himself went out and gathered sticks and, the, uh, and placed them on the fire. Listen, one must take responsibility for the well-being of the fire. You may not have produced the fire of the Holy Ghost. We know that that is a gift from God. And no man can produce the Holy Ghost the same way that the seven sons of Sceva could not buy, or Simon could not buy and purchase the Holy Ghost. You can't produce it. You can't buy it. Amen. But you can take responsibility of it and refuse to let the fire go out. And refused to let the fire die. Listen, for Paul, the fire became personal to him. When you were baptized in this Holy Ghost and fire, it must become personal to you. It must become a, a thing of importance for you. Listen, if you neglect the gift of God and you neglect the gift of the Holy Ghost, amen, He'll die in your life. Amen, just as soon as He came, He'll go. Amen, if there's not relationship, Sister Karen was talking about intimacy. If there's not intimacy with the Holy Ghost, if there's no relationship there, just as sure as there is a day where He comes and He feels and He baptizes, then there will be a day when He'll leave and He'll go to someone else who will allow Him, amen, intimacy and personal relationship with Him. The fire must become responsible for you. You may not be able to to build it, uh, amen, it comes as a gift from God. Uh, but church, if you receive it, hallelujah, he must be personal. Uh, amen, it must become uh, then your personal responsibility uh, to refuse to let the fire of God die uh, and go out. Uh, while everyone else was content sitting by the fire uh, and getting warm, uh, Paul realized uh, that the fire may be great right now, uh, but this thing is not going to last forever. He had to rekindle the fire. He had to add fuel to the fire. Amen. Because fire is something that must be maintained. A fire is something that has to be stoked. And it has to be nurtured. Amen. The same as it is in the physical. It is the same in the spiritual. We cannot be so concerned with the here and now. That we lose sight on the future. That we lose sight. Amen. On what God desires to do. Yes we can shout and we can run and we can jump in this service tonight. But if somebody don't add some wood onto the fire, amen, it's going to be cold in here on Sunday morning. Amen, if we don't add fuel to the fire, if we don't keep the fire burning, then sooner or later, that fire will go out. Why is the entire continent of Europe considered a post-Christian society? 
I can tell you why. Somebody let the fire go out. Why is it that Harvard and Princeton and Yale, once great uh, uh, educational places of study where men could go and learn more about more about the Word of God and the Bible and some of the, the greatest theological seminaries that the world has ever known. How some 200 plus years later could they be secular and full of Antichrist and not teaching no longer sound biblical theologies. Amen. But worried about political correctness and, and, and the cultural things of the day. What happened? Somebody let the fire go out. Somebody let the fire die. And we are no different than they. If the fire does not become personal to us and we don't keep the fire kindled and stoked, then Bible Way will be just like any other nominal church on the side of the road in our country. What makes Bible Way Bible Way? I can tell you it is the Holy Ghost of God. Oh, hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost has to be personal. If not, the fire will go out. Paul wasn't just concerned about the here and now. He had a vision and knew that he had to take responsibility for the fire. Listen, if Pentecost is going to fall in the next generation, then there has to be some Pauls that takes ownership of it today. Now, I'm not telling you to try to control the Holy Ghost and put Him in a box and manipulate Him. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not talking about taking ownership in that manner, but I am talking about taking ownership of the future generation and allowing the Holy Ghost to move in you and by proxy move in them. Amen. In this story, Paul was a preserver of the flame. Amen. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That phrase to stir up, amen, simply means to fan the flame. What he was saying was Timothy, don't let the flame go out. Amen. I know that there's going to be some high highs. And I know there's going to be some low lows. I know that life is not always going to be a mountaintop experience. And I also know that the valley is not going to last forever. But son, wherever you find yourself at, whether it's on the top of Mount Everest, or whether it's down in the bottom of Death Valley. Some stir up the gift of God. Stir up the gift of God. Don't let the flame die. Don't let the fire go out. Amen. But blow on those embers. Stir that thing around. Whatever you do, son, keep the fire alive. The same message is for the church today. It matters not whether we're shouting every service or whether it's dry as cracker juice for three straight months. Amen. We've got to keep the fire burning. We've got to keep the fire going. We've got to keep this thing stirred up. We can do without a lot in this generation but we cannot do without the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost for it's not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts and then the power the power of the Holy Ghost must be personal to us and we must take the responsibility and the charge that I refuse to let the fire go out. I refuse 
to let the fire go out. Paul, writing to that young contemporary, son, don't let the fire go out. Stir up the gift of God, but he didn't stop there. He went on to say, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. If you were to read that last verse to a new convert that's been saved less than 30 minutes, and you were to tell him, be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You might put out their fire before it could even start burning. Because nobody wants to sign up for afflictions. Nobody wants to go through embarrassment and being ashamed. But if you're going to endure the afflictions, and if you're going to stand strong and not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the only way for this to be a reality, the only way to walk in power and not to be ashamed and to partake in the afflictions is to burn with the power of God. It's for this fire, amen, for this gift of God to be stirred up and blazing in your life. Hallelujah. Amen. If we're going to stand and be victorious, amen, it told us to partake, uh, be thou a partaker of the afflictions. Listen, the Lord never made the church immune from afflictions. Amen. We're not on a, just a yellow brick road dancing through the daisies and having a good old time. No, he wrote to Timothy. He said, Now thou, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be some lean times, Brother Eddie. There's going to be some hard times. There's going to be some afflictions that's going to come our way. The only way that you're going to endure and be victorious over the hard times and the afflictions is for this fire to be a reality in your life. Listen, he said first to stir up the gift of God that's within you. Don't let the fire go out. Amen. If you've got the fire burning in verses 15, amen, then you can handle all, or excuse me, 16, then you can handle all of the adversity that comes your way in verses 17 and 18. Amen. First get the fire right and then when the fire is burning, the afflictions, amen, the tribulation, it will seem as just a light thing because you're not walking in your own source. You're walking in the power of the Spirit. Amen. This fire has become your life. This fire has become your energy source and as long as he's burning honey, you can endure anything that hell will throw your way. Amen. Ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Hallelujah. I've got to hurry fire. We've already mentioned requires an energy source. Paul had to do something to fuel the fire. If you want the fire to go out, all you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is sit there and watch it. Yeah. And sooner or later, 
by your doing nothing, the fire is going to go out. But if that fire is to continue to burn, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something to fan the flame. Amen. The Holy Ghost is responsible for the initial fire. Amen. It's partly on us to allow that fire to continually burn. Amen. You won't keep the fire burning by doing nothing and sitting on the sidelines and just watching it burn. No, you've got to do something. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Listen, and you may wonder, what must I do to keep the fire burning? What on earth do I have to do to keep the fire going? I'm glad you asked. Paul has already given us the answer. Amen. He saw the, the condition of the fire. He knew that it required energy, so he went and he gathered wood. Amen. So that same answer is your answer tonight. Somebody needs to put some wood on the fire. Somebody needs, amen, to put an energy source on the fire. Amen. We've got plenty of wood around here that you can go cut up, but that's not what I'm talking about. You are the wood. Amen. You are the fuel that the Holy Ghost needs. You're the one, amen, that he is dependent upon. Amen. He is responsible for the initial baptism. Amen. But you are responsible, therefore, every day for the rest of your life to lay yourself down on the altar and say, Lord, amen, burn in me. Here I am today. I am the kindling that the Holy Ghost can use. I am the wood that the Holy Ghost can burn in and burn through. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You and I tonight, amen, are nothing without Him. We're just a bunch of sticks with empty possibilities. Amen. We are absolutely nothing but dirt. Amen. But when the Holy Ghost comes in and we lay ourselves down on the altar and allow Him to burn in us and through us all, the possibilities are endless with what God can do with an empty vessel. Where there is no wood, where there is no hungry heart, where there is no desire, the fire will die. If this church quits preaching, praying, worshiping, having a burden, just as sure as the fire has fallen in the past, the fall, the fire will leave. But oh, when we gather, when we are hungry, when we desire Him, when we unite in one mind of one accord, that's all the Holy Ghost needs. That's all He needs. The Holy Ghost needs nothing for existence except empty vessels in which He can fill. You go back to that Old Testament story. Amen. Enough. Elisha and the wood or the, the oil. As long as they had vessels to pour the oil in, Brother Eddie, there was oil to go in it. But as soon as there was no more vessels to be found, then the oil stayed. As long as there was a pot that was empty, as long as there was a vessel that had, was accessible to be used, that all continued to flow. But as soon as there were no more vessels, it was then that the oil stayed. The only thing that the, whole, the Holy Ghost needs is a vessel. 
The only thing he is looking for tonight is not talent, amen, is not ability, is not education, is not anything of man's wisdom or man's invention. The only thing he's looking for is a vessel. Notice the vessel. There was no characteristics and no specifications on how tall the vessel had to be, on how short the vessel had to be, on how wide or how skinny or how white or how black or how tan or what color the vessel was. None of that meant absolutely nothing. The only thing that mattered, amen, was that that vessel be emptied and that it be capable of being filled. I can tell you with God tonight, amen, there is no restrictions, amen, on those that He will fill with His Holy Ghost. As long as you've been born again, amen, as long as you're hungry for the things of God, as long as there's availability in your life and you have been emptied out, then honey, the Holy Ghost will fill you up. Amen. There's no specifications on talent, on education, on ability. He is just looking for empty vessels. Amen. Pieces of wood. Amen. Those that are hungry, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the same shall be filled. Oh God, fill us tonight with fresh fire. Got to hurry. Next we can see about fire. Not only must it be preserved, but we know that fire attracts onlookers. I'm reminded of a story. It wasn't a story. It was reality. I, I guess I was 15 at the time. I didn't want to be at church. Mama made me. Thank God that she did. But I was sold up on, on the back pew, wanting to be somewhere else, and all of a sudden somebody come busting through the back door at Copeland Assembly of God. Startled me, scared me. I turned around, and it was a man in a fire suit. He hollered out over the preacher. He said, there's a structure fire, fully engulfed. I need all the volunteer firefighters to get on board, and let's go never been to a fire meeting in my life but to get out of church that night I enlisted I did it's just one problem it was the middle of December it was a convertible fire truck God said you might go but you're going to be miserable the whole time while you're there they all had them big fire suits on getting dressed I'm sitting there in a t-shirt and blue jeans freezing to death we had to drive about seven miles to get to the fire. You could see the thing from miles away. By the time we got there, this is no lie, no exaggeration. There were probably 50 cars lined up. People sitting out in the driveway watching the house burn. We had the fire truck. We had the water and the tank and the hose and everything needed to put the fire out. It took us 10 minutes to get the cars out of the way where we could get through the driveway and get to the house. By the time we got there, waited for everybody to get out of the way, the thing was burned to the ground, nothing left. The only thing we could do was, I say we, I sat back and watched them. The only thing they could do was spray around the perimeter of that fire and keep it from getting in the woods. There's always been a, a natural 
feeling of, 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 of fascination when it comes to fire. People always want to see the fire moving. If you don't believe so, man's natural fascination with fire, put a, a lighter and a firecracker in a man's hand, and he's going to blow something up or bust. People love fire. People are drawn to fire. I mean, the same way that people was drawn on that country night in December to a house structure fire just to sit there and watch it burn. Listen, I've come to the same conclusion that the same will happen in our churches when we catch on fire. I heard a preacher say one time, when the church catches on fire again, there's only going to be two problems the pastor has to worry about, uh, and that seating and parking, uh, trying to figure out where the folks uh, are going to uh, sit down to hear the message of the Word of God. Uh, listen, when the church catches on fire, uh, amen, we will draw a crowd. Uh, I'm not talking about for vain pleasure where we can count heads uh, and brag about how many we've got uh, or how much money comes in on the offering plate. Uh, no, no. Uh, but when the church burns uh, and miracles take place uh, and the blinded eyes are open uh, and the deaf ears are healed, and the lame lays down the crutches and they begin to walk and the dead are raised. Oh, hallelujah. And that begins to transpire. Amen. You're not going to have to worry about if we're going to have to cancel church or not because of a pandemic. They'll beat the locks off the doors to get in and see what God is going to do. Hallelujah. When we burn, the world will notice and the world will show up. Hallelujah. Amen. Let our church be consumed with the fire of God that we can give the world what they need. We may not be able to give the world what they're looking for right now. They're looking for a good time. They're looking for pleasure. They're looking for frivolous things in this life. I can't give them that. But when their baby's sick and they can't get through to a doctor and they can't afford it if they do get through to a doctor and there's no hope for that baby when they bring it to the church and the elders lay hands on it and anoint it with oil and immediately it's healed. Hallelujah. Is going to spread and men and women will be birthed into the kingdom of God. Let the fire of the Holy Ghost consume and burn in us. A young man asked John Wesley one time, So, Mr. Wesley, what is the key to your success? What is it that makes you such a successful preacher? And at first, John Wesley told the young man, he said, young man, there is no key to my success. He said, Wesley turned around and began to walk off. And after a few steps, he turned back around to the young boy. And he said, son, if there is a key to my success, it's this one thing. He said, I pray until the fire of the Holy Ghost falls on me. And when he falls, people come from miles around just to watch me burn. Hallelujah. People come from miles around just to watch me burn. One of the greatest preachers to ever wear shoe leather. Amen. He didn't say I had some great uh, uh, 
Um, theologically sound uh, message. Uh, I didn't have three points in an outline uh, that'll draw men and women every time. Uh, shed tears. Uh, I didn't have some catchphrase or some lingo that I used. He said, no son, uh, the Holy Ghost uh, is the only thing successful in me. Uh, if my ministry is a success, uh, it's because the Holy Ghost is a success. Uh, oh, and when he burns through me, uh, everything happens uh, that happens. Uh, listen, in our church, church circles, we've tried cell groups. Uh, to grow churches. We've tried church grow techniques. We've tried new music. We've tried dramas. We've tried donut and coffee. We've tried new messages, new preaching techniques. But all of that to no avail. If we want our church to grow, all that we need is to be baptized once again in the true unadulterated Holy Ghost and fire. When we burn, men will be drawn. When we burn, men will be converted. When we burn, men will be delivered. When we burn men will be healed when we burn hallelujah men will come to know this marvelous Christ hallelujah let the fire of God burn in us leads me to my next point the thing about fire that's amazing to me is all it takes for a great wildfire to occur is just one single spark. One single spark is it. I did some studying on Yellowstone National Park. Brother Joey told me how wonderful it was and how beautiful it was. I started looking at it and it's on my bucket list to go. Watched a couple documentaries about it. One of the first documentaries that you'll find as you study Yellowstone is the terrible wildfire that took place in 1988. I was just a few months old when it occurred. But in that summer, conditions were dry. It was an uncharacteristically hot summer for that part of the world. And as custom here, Happens there. At nighttime, a lot of times, they'll have heat lightning. Where because of the heat, uh, you'll see lightning begin to light up the sky. And in that season, there was a one lightning strike in the area that made connection with the ground. But because there was, the conditions were so dry and favorable, as a result of that one lightning strike was one of the greatest wildfires that ever happened in the sands of the United States. The flames of that one strike quickly spread out of control as the wind began to blow. And what occurred was one large wildfire that burned for several months. And as beautiful as Yellowstone National Park is today, if you look at pictures, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. Really, any season that you look at the pictures of it. But that fire that took place in 1988, it forever altered the landscape of that park. There are things that was in that park that will never be again. There are things in that park now, the terrain is different. The scenery is different. Where there was trees and the grove of trees here, it's gone. 
And there's, yes, there is some, some new life springing up. But the, the, the point is, is that that one light in that one little spark, it forever altered the scenery of that, of that landscape. Amen. All it took was one spark, one single lightning strike, and then we see the big wildfire. Listen, if we want a big revival to take place, and we want to see, oh, a great move of God in this hour. Amen. It doesn't take anything big. It doesn't take anything really theological theologically sound. All it takes is one spark. All it takes is one individual that's truly hungry for the fire of God. All it takes is one congregation that's tired of the norm, that's tired of the mundane, that's tired of going through the motions and the rituals of religion, but is hungry for a desire and a move of the Holy Ghost. All it takes is one spark, and the result of that could be a wildfire that sweeps Magnolia Springs, that sweeps Foley uh, and Bowen County in Alabama and the United States. Uh, amen. Tonight, uh, amen. The greatest revival in the history of the world uh, could start in Bible Way tonight. Uh, amen. With just a simple preacher uh, preaching a message on the Holy Ghost uh, and somebody get a desire uh, for the fire of God uh, and for there to be a spark, uh, for there to be a connection. Uh, amen. And for men and women uh, to get hungry for the things of God uh, and revival come. Oh, let it be. Is my prayer tonight just one single spark? Who would have thought that a room full of 120 individuals that people would have looked at and said it's just a it's just a spark? But that fire has been burning for 2,000 plus years and swept every continent on this planet. Hallelujah. The fire of the Holy Ghost. All it takes is one that will burn. A man like Charles Finney, I read this this morning, was known as the greatest revivalist in North America. He admitted himself he was not burdened for lost souls as other preachers were burdened for lost souls. But instead, Charles Finney was burdened for lost Christians. Sitting every week in pews, neither converted nor changed thinking their ticket had been stamped safe for eternity when in reality their cry would echo through the judgment hall of hell. Everywhere Finney went, he preached, and revival would break out. When he finally left the town, the drinking establishments were boarded up. The vice houses were closed. The gambling halls were shuttered. And the police had nothing to do because crime for a season was non-existent. In Rome, New York, the stages that passed through with travelers journeying across the state would stop at the hotel so the passengers could get a meal or spend the night huh, where they would be struck by powerful spiritual impression and being convicted would begin to cry out huh, because they needed to get right with God. Huh. It was a common remark that nobody could be in town or pass through it huh, without being aware of the presence of Almighty God. Huh, that a divine influence seemed to pervade the place huh, and the whole atmosphere to be filled with a heavenly influence. Huh. Charles Finney preaching in a church huh, in Evansville, New York. Huh, he spoke two or three sentences when the power 
of the Holy Ghost rocked the place to its foundation. The congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction, crying out for mercy. Then he said, if I had a sword in each hand, I could not cut them down faster than they fell. The whole congregation was on their knees, a prostate. All of this happened in less than two or three minutes after the first Holy Spirit nudge. One witness reported it was like 100 guns, a 100 gun firing squad open on them and 500 fell, not hither or yon, but as one direction as if a heavenly hand was pulled the floor out from under them. That, my friend, is revival. That, friend, is a move of God. It didn't happen because, amen, somebody got a hold of the good stuff in the barroom. No, it happened because a man of God came with just a single spark, with just a man that God used. But as a result of that, the alcoholic sobered up. The room shut down. The prostitutes were put out of business and the entire town was on their knees and on their face crying out to Almighty God. If you wonder what revival looks like, Brother Eddie, I have to think revival looks a lot like that. I mean, that's what revival looks like. Not some, I mean, religious mumbo jumbo. Not some mosh pit that you can see at a rock and roll concert. Not, amen, with disco lights and smoke machines and strobe lights. No, Revival comes when men and women are on their face crying out to a holy God. Amen. Crying out, Lord, save me. Lord, change me. Let me be more like you. Amen. That's what revival looks like. And it started with a single man. Entire towns shut down because of one man being a spark. When I read stories like that, Brother Eddie, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Lord, let me be that spark. Let me be that one. The fire of revival that ensued never would have happened if any hadn't burned. That never would have been recorded in the annuals of history if any didn't get alone and get intimate with God. The thing that inspires me, if any did it in his generation, then God will do it through me and my generation. God's no respect of a person. If he did it through Finney in New York, he can do it through Woods on the streets of Pensacola. If he did it in Finney, preached in congregations in New York, in New Hampshire and Maine, he can do it through Brother Eddie. Amen. As he stands behind this pulpit uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, all of the wonderful things that he's seen on the evangelistic field. Uh, we can see here and greater even more. Uh, all it takes is one spark. One spark. I'm reminded of uh, Pastor Morales. He's the, the presiding bishop over the church of God in Cuba. Told me the story when he took the church. It's called the, the Valley of Blessing. In, in Santo Domingo, Cuba. It's not Santo Domingo. I can't remember the name of the town. Santo Domingo's Dominican Republic. His church is literally about five blocks down from Fidel Castro's mausoleum where he was cremated and his ashes remain. People from all over the island flock to that mausoleum to pay homage to Castro. They walk right by the streets of a spirit-filled Church of God church to get there. I talked to Brother Morales, pastor several hundred in his church, has multiple services. 
And every service, it is packed full to the gills. If you can imagine a church about this size from front to back with two balconies on it, two different levels up in Cuba, you can't build out residences or churches or buildings. You can only build up. And so when they filled up the first floor of the, the church, they had to build up. Built a second level in a balcony. And then when that filled up, they built a third, smaller balcony up, uh, up on the third level of the church. I don't know how structurally sound it was or it is to this day. I was praying the whole time I was there. But a church full, that church, three levels, full, has multiple services on Sunday morning. I asked him, I said, Brother Morales, how did you grow a church like this in communist Cuba? How is it in the face of persecution where they can arrest you for the things that you preach at any moment in time? How did you grow a church like this? He said, when I started this church, I had seven people. He said, it was me, my wife, my children, and my neighbors. Seven people. And he said, I knew that if I was ever going to see a church grow, Brother Eddie, it was going to take prayer. It was going to take intimacy with God. It was going to take a, it was going to take a man or a woman of prayer. And he said, early on in my church, he said, I instituted a 24-hour-a-day prayer chain where 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody was in my church praying. He said, there were days when it was just me, when the light fell on me. Nobody else was able to come. He said, days I spent in that church, nobody but me and God, walking the floors, praying, seeking God. He said, somewhere after several weeks, things began to break. God began adding to the church. People began being saved. People began being filled. And people's life began being changed. And he said, then we started adding to the prayer meeting and it began to grow. And God began to bless and God began to move. I asked him, I said, Brother Morales, how long did the prayer chain last? He said, we never stopped. <laughs> so we never stopped. He said, the whole time you were in the pulpit preaching this morning, I had a, a, a saint and an elder Satan in the back that was praying for you the whole entire time. Amen. And all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody is in that church praying. Somebody is in that church calling upon the name of the Lord. Ask how long has this been going on? If I remember correctly, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years, that prayer chain has been continual and has been unbroken. Somewhere along the lines, Brother Eddie, somebody's soul caught on fire. And out of seven, you have a thriving congregation in the middle of communist Cuba amen with thousands uh, that have been influenced and impacted out of that church in Cuba they've sent missionaries all throughout the Caribbean uh, they've sent missionaries to Mexico uh, they've sent missionaries to Europe uh, they've sent missionaries to Russia why because somebody's got tired uh, amen of church as usual uh, and God sparked them hallelujah God sent a spark uh, and out of that was a wildfire uh, that began to sweep all over Cuba now no longer is he the pastor of a 
church of seven, but he's the presiding bishop over the church of God, over all of that island nation. And in every town you go in for the most part, there is a church of God church there. It may be a small cinder block building, amen, with a makeshift tent over the top that may flood every time it rains, but there's a congregation there that's hungry and seeking after God. It all is the result of one spark. By the way, you say he's just a simple preacher. No. He was a nuclear scientist at a petroleum company in Cuba whose salary was $2 a week. It's what he did before God called him into the ministry. One of the leading nuclear scientists in that land making $2 a week. But a man that's hungry for God. A man that's hungry and out of that developed the church of God in that island nation. Amen. I'm closing with this. All it takes is one spark. And when that fire sparks, fire is communicable. Meaning that fire spreads. Fire spreads. As long as there's an energy source, as long as there's oxygen fueling that fire, as long as there's leaves in front of it or wood to burn, then that fire is going to burn. Amen. As long as there's no water putting it out, as long as there's no, no detrimental factors opposing it, that fire is going to burn. Hallelujah. Amen. When fire comes to the church, it may start off with a single spark. But that fire can spread. Oh, when God moves on Brother Joey, I want to be right beside him when he does because I want Brother Daniel that fire to spread on me. When that fire, if he falls on Brother Daniel, I want to be right beside him. And I want him to fall on me. Hallelujah. And I want to pray for somebody else uh, to let that fire begin to spread. Uh, amen. This thing is greater uh, than just for one person. Uh, no, when he fell on the day of Pentecost, uh, he may have fell on 120. Uh, but there were 3,000 people down uh, in the streets of Jerusalem that admired the fire uh, and said, What must I do to be saved? Uh, and cried out in that day, 3,000 men and women uh, were added to the kingdom of God. Uh, by the next day, uh, 5,000 uh, total had been saved and added to the kingdom of God in just about 20 years. All of Asia had heard the gospel because of one spark that took place in the upper room in Jerusalem. It might have been one spark, but when the conditions are right, hallelujah, when there's favorable conditions, then that fire is going to spread. And this entire world has been touched by the spark that took place on the day of Pentecost. All it takes is a spark, but when that spark comes, Amen, honey, you can watch that fire burn. That fire is not going to be contained. You don't control the fire of the Holy Ghost, no. You let the fire of the Holy Ghost control you. And when he burns, he's going to spread. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've sang the song for too long. I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire. Burning with the Holy Ghost. I believe God is waiting for me, I believe God is waiting on you, not somebody else to catch on fire. Lord, let me catch on fire. Right, right. On. Hallelujah. Lord, let me burn 
with the fire of the Holy Ghost. I'm not waiting on my brother or my sister to burn. Lord, I want the spark to happen right here. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I desire it. Listen, revival at way. I don't believe it's contingent upon the pastor or contingent upon a musician or a contingent upon a preacher or a teacher. It's contingent upon you getting burned with the fire of the Holy Ghost. Listen, God wants to move in the pew just as much much as he does in the pulpit. Amen. I believe the fire of the Holy Ghost will start with the fire of God. Amen. But he can fall in the pew just as well as he can in the pulpit. He can fall on the back row and fill a hungry heart just as well as he can. The trustees of the pastor. God's not looking for a title. He's just looking for hunger. And when you are filled, hallelujah. When that fire comes, then that fire is going to spread. It's communicable. It's going to spread to that one sitting beside you. That one sitting in front of you. That one sitting behind you. It's not the will of God for the Holy Ghost to be hemmed in to one individual. But it is the will of God for that fire to burn in one and then spread to all. Could it happen tonight? Could tonight be the night when one heart touches heaven and heaven touches one heart and the fire of the Holy Ghost begins to spread. I think we got a good taste last Wednesday night of what the Holy Ghost wants to do. But can I let you in on something tonight? He desires to do more. He desires to move more. He desires to do an even greater work. And a grim, an everlasting work in us. My prayer is, Lord, burn in me. Lord, I'm laying wood on the fire tonight. I'm laying myself down so that you may burn in through me and out of me, oh God. Let a wildfire revival sweep our, our county, our city, our nation, and our world. And let it start with me. It started in Cuba with Daniel Morales. It started in New York with Charles Finney. Let it start in Foley with Bible Way. Oh, hallelujah. How many of you will meet me in this altar tonight? Amen. And that be the desire of your heart. Lord, let the Holy Ghost burn in me. Holy Ghost fire burn in me. If you come with a hungry heart and an empty vessel, Amen. I believe the Holy Ghost is going to meet you here. And this can be more than a message of words. But it can be a reality in your life. Hallelujah. Come. Amen. Lift your hands to heaven. Cry out to God tonight that this fire burn. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Burn, oh God, burn.